This podcast is brought to you by Ascensus. We power ambitious space providers to thrive by giving them real-time control over their space, operational processes, and technology, all underpinned by a resilient private network and cloud infrastructure. We give space providers the confidence to securely scale their business and deliver exceptional member experiences. Welcome to this Place Tech podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, founder of Bold. And today I'm chatting with James Shannon, the Chief Product Officer for Census. Now, I'm sure everybody knows who Ascensus is. They just went public recently. But for those who don't, Ascensus is a, the provider of mission-critical SaaS platforms and on-demand cloud services to the high-growth, flexible workspace industry that I love dearly. Did I get that right, James? Certainly did, Caleb. Uh, great to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, Ascensus's role in the industry is, is very much to remove complexity uh, and empower our you know, um, most ambitious operator customers uh, to scale uh, simply and, and quickly. Um, you know, that, that's really our, our reason for being. Excellent. Um, well, we're in the age of Corona right now, um, and I don't mean beer. We're sitting here both self-quarantined in our respective flats, having this podcast today. And um, you know, I think leading up to, to this self-quarantine phase, the flex space industry saw massive growth of the past several years. I personally believe that the remote work movement that everybody has to have now is going to put rocket boosters on the flex space industry and demand for flex space as we come out the backside of this pandemic. And also leading up to this, the past several years, we've been seeing talk about tenant engagement apps, member experience, um, how to enhance member ex- uh, customer experience. What, what does that mean to you? Well, I think, um, you know, it, it, means, it means sort of different things for different people to, to start with. So on the operator side, um, it's all about giving them complete control at the touch of a button. Um, so the ability to control their workspace operations and infrastructure and allow them to deliver a completely friction-free member experience. So that's very much the operator perspective. On the member pers- uh, side of things, um, it's all about just getting things done, being productive. You know, we all, we all know uh, what, what members love about uh, and tenants love about uh, the, the sort of new flexible um, workspace design is the ability to, to choose the space they want to work in to suit their, um, the type of work they're doing or the, or the type of uh, temperament or, or group they're working with. So tenant engagement and member experience apps are all about um, enhancing and complementing the design of the space uh, to make them productive, to, make, to allow them to get things done. And that could be everything from booking meeting rooms to uh, paying their invoices to engaging with the community to contacting the community manager, messaging, um, and also receiving updates and, and uh, you know announcements from the space itself. So you know we're seeing a lot of um, engagement apps out there, um, and I think one the thing we're starting to see in the market is a bit of app fatigue. You know everyone's being every company sure. out there is a uh, not another app. <laughs> yeah, exactly, another app. Um, you know, so I, th- I think there are two perspectives to this, you know, very much the operator perspective, which is I must have an app to engage with my, my audience. But at the same time, um, we have to be sensitive to app fatigue uh, on the tenant or member side. And so we, we've got to do some things to, to, to fix that and, and to ensure that it's actually something they absolutely need to use. Yeah, you know, James, I've, I've talked a lot over at the Workbold podcast. I've talked with a lot of people, both in commercial real estate on the occupier side and, and the landlord side. And I think... The, the recurring theme is that, you know, people want a productive workforce. They don't want an office. And, and when pe- right now, when we come out the backside of this pandemic and companies have realized, wow, they've actually 
been able to stay productive, even though people were working remotely, do the question is going to be, do I really need to go into the office? And, and I think the answer is, well, yes, it's not either or, it's both. But if people then have the choice in the future of coming into the office or not, uh, occupiers and landlords need to create environments uh, in that people want to go to. And I, I know that you're a big fan of removing friction. Um, so are you thinking that these, these apps can help remove friction? And how, how is that the case? Uh, absolutely, because you know, in the age where we need to provide more flexible access to space, uh, as you say, maybe, maybe it moves to more sort of uh, more remote working and, and perhaps, you know, lots of hubs that people, people you know, gather at for, for face-to-face collaboration or brainstorming or meetings or whatever. Um, uh, you know, it, all, it remains to be seen how, how, that, how the, the industry disrupts and, and adapts to that. But, you know, th- there's one thing for sure, which is that, you know, we have to be able to interact um, with the space. We have to be able to interact with each other. And removing friction is, is a key part of that. And that only gets, you know, the, the problem becomes only more complex as we move to this more distributed world. So, you know, in addition to the type of things we're seeing um, smartphone apps do today, such as booking and paying and engaging and communicating, I think we're also going to start to see, um, you know, the smartphone apps actually being our, almost our key uh, to unlock additional physical uh, elements of the space. So perhaps tack- tapping on a hot desk to book it, or mm. perhaps tapping on a, on, a, on, a, on a coffee machine and the, and the honesty bar to pay for coffee. But I think that the, one of the biggest pain points at the moment is actually providing unattended access to space, which again is only going to get uh, more of a pain point as we move to sort of out of this pandemic into a more disrupted world where people are, are engaging and entering spaces less or more often depending on how, how they're collaborating. So, you know, access control is a big pain, pain point in the industry at the moment. Uh, and one thing we see is um, the desire to move to a, a much more frictionless way for members to interact with access control. And, and you know, one of the key ways to do that would be you know, use, through using the app that the, the tenants or, or the members are already engaging with. Well, so I, I understand that. And I'm a big fan of, of being able to tap in and out um, at, at the two, in the two stations in London using my phone. But um, if, if, I have, if I have an access card, why is it better to have an app versus an access card? Well, again, I, th- I think it comes down to, to a couple of different perspectives here. So from the operator perspective, um, you know, cards are a pain. Uh, people forget them, they share them, and they lose them. So straight away, the operator has to have processes in place to uh, obviously go, you know, go through those card replacements, you know, temporary loaner cards, all that kind of thing. Um, I think from the operator perspective, it also skews their data. So you know, in an age where we're looking for more and more insights from our data, it doesn't help us when people are sharing cards because we don't know whether a person entered or, or left a space and whether to build them or ready, ready, whether to take credits out of their quota. It's just we, all we know is the card entered the space, or the card unlocked that door. So the great thing about using smartphones for this kind of thing uh, from an operator perspective um, is it, you know, people are far less likely to, to lose, share or forget their phone. Uh, the smartphone is you know, their communication mechanism. It's often their payment mechanism. Uh, and it's often used for authentication and communication, you know, obviously, as well. So, you know, we see that, you know, users, as you say, are already used to the paradigm of tapping to pay, whether it be for the tube or for a sandwich or for coffee. So extending that paradigm to using their phones to unlock and to access and to book and to pay for things within the physical space they're working and or collaborating in becomes a natural extension to that. And when we think about the tenant or member side of this, Again, it's one less thing to remember. It's one less thing I, I don't need to forget or share or whatever. Um, and let's not forget, you know, in this age of app fatigue, the more that app is useful to me and the more I use that app, 
then it becomes a win-win because I'm getting value out of that app because I'm engaging with it, I'm communicating with it. It's, it's, it's doing other things for me other than just you know, engagement and paying invoices and booking. It's now allowing me to access stuff. But also from an operator perspective, I'm now getting much more engaged app users so they're easier to communicate with, they're easier to, to create a community around. Okay, well, I, I get that, but I do want to go back to what you said earlier about app fatigue. Is, yeah. is, is, a, is a user really going to want to download another app? Absolutely not. So, so again, you know, our, our approach to this is, you know, not not to ask the user to to download an app that's specific to access control or specific to, uh, you know, booking hot desks or specific, you know, in other words, you know, almost like a vendor per per solution type environment. Mm-hmm. You know, the way we work um, in a sort of enterprise grade world is is we build white label apps for our customers and we build all this functionality into one app. So, you know, when I'm when I'm joining up to a space or, or I'm, I'm you know, working at my you know con- conventional um, you know, real estate property, I-, I should only have to install one app um, that, that gives me everything. It gives me my, my communication. It gives me my ability to book resources, my ability to pay and communicate and collaborate and, and, and engage with community. But it's also the same app that unlocks doors and uh, allows me to start a video conference and allows me to book a hot desk and, and so forth. Um, so you know they shouldn't. Once they've installed that app once, uh, and they understand the value of installing that app because it's their app, that, which is their key to the space, they're no longer prompted to install additional apps for lots of different things. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. And and I, even if we just focus on access control in the resi market, I mean, there's companies like Latch that raise millions of dollars and uh, around yeah. uh, around the world, and they're deploying it like crazy. Sure. But but it's not happening as fast in commercial real estate. Why isn't it obvious? Um, I think, yeah, I think we've just touched on one of them, which is I'd have to install the Latch app or the Yale app or whatever it might be, because in a B2C world, it tends to be one app per product. Um, so we all, we all know the situation at home. If you've got a smart door lock or you've got a um, you know, smart speaker or you've got a, um, a, a smart um, you know, a music system, whatever, you tend to end up with an app from every vendor and it becomes quite a, a, a fragmented environment, which we put up with in B2C. But it doesn't really translate to to the sort of the, the commercial world because we never expect you know, a slicker experience. We also want to aggregate all that data, so it's no good for the operator to have seven different views of the same user's activity. Uh, we want one consolidated view where we understand what one user is doing and how they're behaving and and, and so forth. So, can I can I can yeah. I stop you there because I think that's sure. an important point because yeah. uh, we talk about data and mm. um, I think there's there tends to be obviously operators and landlords, they want to have as much data as possible. And um, you know, there's a lot of data points that are available these days, especially with sensor technology coming out. But mm-hmm. um, when we talk about data within these engagement apps, um, should users be concerned about their privacy? Uh, that's a great question. And it's a question that, that every user should be asking. And it's also you know, a, a question every operator should be asking because you know, data is um, a, a key value metric of, of any solution. Um, and it's also, you know, an important part of the question is, is to understand who owns that data. So, as you say, there's a privacy aspect to this. Should users be worried about sharing data? Well, you know, in this case, uh, all the more reason that you should only be installing one app and not seven, uh, because if you're sharing your data with one entity, which is the entity you trust, i.e. your operator or your landlord or whoever, um, then you have um, a, a much smaller a sort of a vulnerability um, sort of window in, into that data, as opposed to sharing it with seven different B2C companies who you don't really know anything about other than their brand. Um, so that's the first thing. You should feel more confident about sharing it with an entity that you, you contract with or you engage with because you're likely to have more um, sort of robust 
um, sort of contractual arrangements with how that data is, is controlled and managed and stored and so forth. But the second thing is um, it has to be absolutely clear who owns that data. You know, we've already seen in other industries where, you know, in the fitness industry is a great example, you know, where, where a lot of athletes are recording their fitness data. Um, the athlete is under the, under the impression that they own the data because it's their fitness. Um, the fitness platform is under the impression that they own the data because it's their platform. Mm -hmm. And then you've got various partners who may be integrating with that platform who feel it's their data because it was their plugin that collected it. Uh, and so you have to be, and, and, and that's, that's created up quite a stir in that industry because everyone feels they own the data. So, so I think the other thing is there has to be complete transparency um, when the data is collected as to who will own it and who will use it for what. And that's why you, you've seen GDPR you know, as a massive piece of legislation in Europe, uh, and, and you're going to see similar things in, in North America um, already starting to come up about data ownership and, and privacy and so forth. So, so diving into that real quick, um, how, how is the census addressing the, the, the privacy issue? Well, first of all, um, you know, when we deploy our platform and we deploy our apps, um, it, it's completely white labeled for the enterprise customer, for, for the operator or the landlord, whoever is running that platform. And it's their T's and C's and it's their privacy policy um, that they upload into the platform and that the user's accepting. So, you know, the data belongs, um, you know, to, to, to the customer that's, that's collecting it. Um, the data is in their platform um, and, and it's in their uh, in, environment. Um, obviously, that when the user is signing up to the platform, they are accepting that privacy policy and, and those T's and C's as, as placed by the operator so or the landlord. So, you know, it should be very transparent at that point what the expectation of, of, of the landlord or, or operator uh, are in terms of data ownership, data storage, data sharing, and so forth. It obviously need to comply with, with local legislation, uh, and that, that's the onus is on, obviously on the, um, the, the, the operator or the landlord to, to, to follow that. Um, but there should be no you know, confusion or, or, or from the user's perspective as to who owns or will store or process that data. And then the sensors effectively stay out of the way. We, we are merely the data processor that allows the data to flow from the user using the app to the platform where the uh, operator or landlord is then processing that and reporting on it and getting insights from that and then delivering value back to that user uh, based on that data. And I think that that's, that's one important point to focus on is that generally users don't have a problem with data, their data being stored and processed and analyzed if they're getting value back. And I think once again, that's a really important point, having everything in one platform and one app and so forth, because you, you can understand that if I'm logging in and sharing my email and sharing my access control data and perhaps sharing my, you know, my Wi-Fi data, as long as I'm getting value back from that, um, then I'm probably not going to have a problem with that. It's when it gets shared with multiple entities, with third parties, I started getting, I started getting emails and spam, and that, that's when I have a problem with it. T tell, me, tell me more about the value that the user is getting back. Mm. Well, for instance, um, you know, we talk about a lot about smart buildings uh, in the industry, uh, and traditionally that's focused around you know, elevators, uh, you know, heating, light, uh, and so forth. It's about making the building environmental, all of which are key things. But that doesn't make the building feel smart to the end user. What makes an, a building feel smart to the end user is this frictionless experience. It's when I walk in, it's when I tap the door with my phone, it not only books the room, but it takes the credits required and it opens the door. When I tap on the NFC tag in the room, it starts the video conferencing. That, that's when it starts to feel uh, like a smart building to me and a smart member experience or tenant experience. So for me, when the data is augmenting that experience, um, then it's delivering value to me. So for instance, we could be in a three hour meeting um, and you know, the air quality is starting to drop because the carbon dioxide sensors uh, determine that. And maybe it, it comes up and prompts 
you know, maybe you should take a break. You're probably being less productive. The air quality's dropped and you've been in here for three hours. So that's data driving a smarter member experience that at the end of the day is making me more productive and it's saving me time. So I think that that's an example where, you know, the data we collect um, is, is allowing us to build a smarter experience, which is delivering value to the end user in, in terms of making them more productive. So I know we, we started diving into access control, but you know, everything you're saying here is, is, is sort of an integrated, um, you know, smart system uh, that, that all, that all, Collect, uh, collects the data from the user experience to create a better user experience. Mm. And, and access control is, is, is very much at the hub of that because if uh, you, know, you, you need some sort of credential to open a door, um, and if you can leverage that same credential, whether it be a card or, or, or preferably a smartphone, not only to do that, but to also collect your prints from the printer or to start the video conference or to turn on the lights in a room or to book a hot desk, um, if you've got the, the user uh, integrating with your access control using the same authentication token that they use for everything else, then not only not only is that a smart member experience, but it, you know the integration of access control is the is the key to that. Because if you don't have that, then all of a sudden what we're saying to users is, well, you need to use this to unlock the door, but you need to use that to do everything else, or and, and so, maybe so, several of those. So if if I'm a landlord, if I'm an operator, and and I'm thinking about how do I prepare, future-proof my asset, future-proof my operation uh, for the increased demand in flex? I need to be thinking about some sort of app that can start off helping with access control, but not limited to. It needs to be fully integrated with other services to provide value to that user. Absolutely. So, you know, you know today, you know, you know, the flexible workspace operators who are customers are obviously implementing our platform um, to, to deliver you know, flexible workspace experiences. And that's all centered around all the moves, ads, and changes that happen on a daily basis. But increasingly, we're seeing forward-thinking landlords thinking, how am I going to be prepared for this new world? How am I going to be prepared to react to the market as you know, my building is transitioning um, you know, from one world to the other? How do, I, how do I react in a more flexible way? So you're absolutely right. If, if the building is prepared um, you know, with this technology from day one, then it becomes very straightforward to enable different areas of the building for different purposes, and, and thereby giving uh, any user that enters the building a very seamless and friction-free experience, all the way from the turnstiles and the and the, the security and, and the ground floor. So, so I want to I want to go further than that because I believe that, um, it, or historically, it's not, I don't believe it's a fact. Historically, uh, in the co-working or serviced office sector, mm. uh, because it's been such a small take up of the overall market office mm. market um it's always sort of been inserted into a building but it's been yeah. uh, it's been separate and, and separately demised whereas yeah. i think the future is uh, taking that experience of the hospitality experience and the friction-free experience and integrating with the entire building so even if you don't even if you're not a, a member or a customer of that um that flex space operator you might have a lease uh conventional lease on the top floor you yep. still have a similar user experience to, to access the building. So um, are you seeing or do you think that uh, based on the customers you're supporting in the, in the flex space arena, do you, do you think that can be extended across the whole building? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the, the landlord is the one in control of that. Um, and as you say, today, or at least you know, before this, this, this situation started, um, you know, we, we saw, I mean, we see it in our own building where the landlord has one access control system and then the various demises or, or flex operators and different floors have different systems. It's crazy. Some people, yeah, some people get around that with using a, a common card technology or one card that works for both. 
but you, that doesn't that really removes the, some of the friction from the end user. But it, it, you're still doubling, you're still doing double data entry in two different access control systems. The cars never get disabled because one doesn't talk to the other. Sure, sure. So, so you've still got all the overhead and the problems with that. So absolutely, um, you know, as as we move move forward, you know, I, I think the more progressive players in the space will look to um, you know enable the buildings from day one. With, with a technology that can support every demise in that building uh, and, and create that friction-free yep. member experience all the way through. Because let's face it, we're going to see more remote working. We're probably going to see more unmanned spaces. Um, and we're going to want to, um, operators and landlords are going to want to have more insight into how the spaces are being used so that they can optimize uh, you know, their, their income uh, to, to the market as it evolves. So unless you have a platform that allows you to not only um, enable access to the space, but also instrument it and measure it, uh, and, and, and analyze it, um, you're not going to be able to react um, to the market and evolve your, your proposition uh, in, in this kind of rapidly changing environment. Well, I think we've, we've touched on um, at a high level some of the various ways you can, we can reduce friction. We dove into the access control, and, and, and I, I understand the, the value of, of that being sort of the starting point. But what do you see, what do you see is coming next? Well, I think you know, we're going to see a lot more evolution of the experience itself. So I've touched on a few things. You know, we, we may start with access control, but we'll start then start to get into more intelligent experiences where I can use the same, you know, tapping tapping paradigm like tap to pay or tap to open to interact with other areas of the space, whether that be a hot desk or a video conference and so forth. But I think, you know, beyond that, I think what we'll see is not only a hunger for a more sort of B two C user experience in the workplace, uh, because you know, the lines between home and work are becoming kind of become increasingly blurred. Uh, it's not, I don't go to work, it's where I work. Um, and, and so, you know, the type of experiences, albeit they may be more fragmented in B2C, like smart speakers and, and talking to my front door lock or talking to my music system, are going to be more expected uh, no, no matter where I work. And that could be in a, in, a, in a flex workspace or it could be in a more traditional space. So I think what we'll start to see is, you know, it'll start off with, you know, interacting with smartphone apps in terms of uh, the physical space. But then I think we'll start to see more speech coming into it. So, you know, being able to walk into a room and talk to the AV rather than have to fumble about under the table looking for the HDMI cable or trying to figure out what source the, the screen is on. Um, so I think we'll start to see more B2C um, sort of smart speaker experience. So, so like, a, like, a, like a Hey Siri or Hey Google, can you, oh, I don't say that because my Google <laughs> might start up over here. But like, Hey Siri, um, See, I told you, there it is. <laughs> there you go. Um, so like when you, you can walk into the conference room and, and actually tell it to put whatever presentation on the screen, you don't have to actually plug it up is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So, so we might have, you know, initially an experience where, you know, I, I tap on the meeting room and it, and it books, pays and opens the door for me. Maybe it turns the lights on, but then it doesn't know what I want to do next. It doesn't know whether I want to present. It doesn't know whether I want to start a video conference. So I then need to do a secondary interaction. Maybe that's tapping with my smartphone on, on a tag that does something, or maybe it's just with speech. Um, uh, and then I think beyond that, we'll start to see more AI and, and, and the data really start to create value. So, for instance, whenever I book a meeting room and I, and I open the door, maybe the lighting comes on to the level that I, I from my last meeting, the temperature sets, the temperature I last used. That's, um, yep, the branding on the screen, it reflects yep. my company's branding, even though a different company was hosting a meeting in that room, the, the meeting before. Love it. Uh, you know, so, so we start to get a really smart experience that, that reflects where I'm working not whether I'm at work or not. Uh, and for me, that, that's how uh, the environment's going to be disrupted and it's going to evolve as, as we come out of this, uh, this current situation. M makes me think of uh, Star Trek. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Just without the, uh, the beaming up. <laughs> uh, what well, can you invent that for us, please? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after the next podcast. <laughs> all right, good. Um, all right, James, I have to, I hope you don't mind. I've got a, a question for you that's, I'm going to challenge you a little bit if that's okay. Sure. Uh, um, obviously we're an operator and I've got friends in, in some of, some of the operating companies, um, that are friendly competitors and we talk and, um, you know, we, we've looked into to things and anyway, the questions come up in our conversation sometimes about, well, you know, a census seems to be more expensive than some of the other solutions. And yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm always a believer that, you know, you get what you pay for and all that, but um, yeah. can you, can you address that? Absolutely. And you know, this, this, this obviously comes up a lot, you know, we're in a, a, a very rapidly evolving market you know, you know, we're a we're a small industry, so so we're aware of all our competitors are. We meet them regularly at conferences and so forth. But I think there are three areas really to, to address that. The first one is um, clearly it's all, with any software product and any software platform, um, you really have to compare apples with apples. So um, you know, we have, we have lots of competitors for lots of different things we do. Very few of them address the breadth and depth of what we do. So it's really important when you're evaluating a platform to run your space that you're very clear on what your requirements are because maybe we over deliver on those uh, and maybe some of our competitors under deliver on those. So the first thing is matching the scope to matching the platform because clearly you don't want to pay for things you don't use and you want to make sure you're getting the things um, that you're paying for. So I think that's the first point. And, you know, and bear in mind a census that has been in this market since 2006. So a lot of our know-how and a lot of the maturity of the platform has been built um, dealing with many, many, many different types of, of flexible workspace operators over that period. So it's an incredibly configurable and customizable platform. Uh, it isn't just tailored to work one specific way. So I think that's the first point. The second point is um, we're not trying to appeal to every size uh, and, and, and scale of operator. Uh, and, and let me clarify that. So you know, if, if, if you're a two-site operator you know, running a few thousand square feet, then we're probably going to be perceived as expensive because your challenges, your complexity as an operator running a couple of sites that are relatively small is not going to be matched by the configurability and the power and the horsepower that, that we deliver. We are targeting the most ambitious, the most uh, scalable and fastest growing operators. So as soon as you go beyond five sites, beyond 10 sites, as soon as you, you, you start to really you know, scale and repeat your business, that's when the power of a census um, really comes in uh, because, you know, we have lots of elements to our platform, including our private cloud that allows us to, you know, centralize uh, the hardware that you don't have to put in each of your spaces. This allows you to, to repeat and scale sites very quickly. So some of our biggest customers in the world are adding tens of sites per year because they can just turn them on without having to deal with many vendors because it's all handled through the platform and, and using the census cloud. And I think the final point is that we do have different product additions. So we recognize that there may be you know, uh, operators and, and landlords and so forth that, that are operating fairly small spaces today, but that doesn't mean they have the, don't have the ambition uh, to grow very quickly and to be a very large you know, operator you know, in six months or a year's time. So that's exactly why we have additions. So you can, you can start on the platform at a lower addition at a lower cost without the, the pain or, or the change that would be required um, as, as you scale um, your, your business and, and rapidly add more sites. You can just move up through the software additions rather than have to, to start with a, maybe a, a cheaper, uh, smaller platform and then have the pain and migration um, uh, impact of having to move over to a census later. So I think there are three areas. One is, is breadth and depth. 
The second is it's all about scale and ambition. That's who we power and that's, that's who's benefiting from our platform the most. And I think the final point is we do have additions to cater for those operators that may be small now, but have got those, those big growth ambitions uh, and, and want to grow with us. Because at the end of the day, that, that's a win-win for both the operators and for us is that we grow together. Well, thank you for sharing that, James. That, that does help clarify at a high level for me, um, you know, the, the value that a census brings. I'm going to switch gears now, and I want to, in, sort of in closing on this podcast, uh, get your opinion on, on the future again, it, but more specifically the future with this whole pandemic we've got going on right now. Sure. Do, you, do you have an opinion on when this is, when this is going to end? Do you, do you know? Do, do you have, I mean, nobody knows, but do you, do you have a strong opinion on it? Yeah, I mean, uh, we'd all love a crystal ball um, to, to, to see when this is going to, when we're going to come out of this. Um, no, no, I don't. Uh, I mean, I think it's obviously going to vary regionally. Um, you know, different countries, different continents are at different stages. Uh, so I think that's the first thing to acknowledge. And, and we obviously have a huge business in the US as, as well as in, in Europe and in parts of Asia. So you know, we're, we're going to see this as we've entered this in, at different rates and different stages. We're obviously going to see this exit at different rates and different stages. Um, I also think... Um, you know, obviously different countries and regions have dealt with it slightly differently. So that's going to impact mm, yeah. Um, yeah, exit strategy and exit time. And I think, you know, we're largely in a holding pattern to see, you know, it's not such a, it's not so much a when, but a how. Yeah. So, you know, when, when this does occur, it's probably not going to be binary. It's probably not, not going to be everyone flood back to the office. It's probably well, going to be in a controlled way. That was, I was going to ask you about that because, yeah. you know, I, I'm sitting here, can't, can't wait to go shake hands. And I think, I think, I think I want to start my next, my first business meeting um, when we go back with hugs instead of handshakes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah make up for it. I know, but do you, do you think people are going to just sort of like flood back to the office because they, they value that face-to-face that we've been lacking? Or do you think people are going to be like, well, actually, I kind of like this and, and not rush back? Uh, I think it's going to be some and some. I think um, that there'll obviously be restrictions. There'll be restrictions as to, as to who can go back when. But I think, you know, restrictions aside, I think there will be a hunger to get back to, to, to social contact and to face-to-face. At the same time, I think there will be a realisation um, that, um, you know, companies probably have greater confidence in remote working now. They've got the tools in place. They've got the systems in place. The internet didn't break. Uh, video conferences work. You know, I think there's a lot of things that have been proven and I think there's, there's a lot of environmental impact that's been proven as well, that it, it's, it is possible to reduce the impact on the environment. So I think all of those will, 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 not, be a, will not cause a predictable mass return to work, which, which nicely brings us back to how important data is, because mm. you know, all our customers are going to be looking at our platform, looking for activity data to, to measure, to respond to how their spaces are starting to repopulate. Is everyone flooding back? Is, is, are some spaces busier than others? Are some regions busier than others? And that's why it's so important to have a platform that, that gives you the insight into how your space is being used and therefore how you can flexibly react to it in the market. Well, I think that's the key word, flexible. And yeah, uh, I think that's a good, a good spot to, to stop on there. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to have a chat with me. I know this is some of these questions I've been curious about myself. So uh, your insights have been great. Thanks, James. Thanks very much, Caleb. Thanks for having me. You're certainly. And, and thank you all for listening uh, to this Place Tech podcast. And uh, until next time, take care of yourself. This podcast is brought to you by Ascensus. We power ambitious space providers to thrive by giving them real-time control over their space, operational processes, and technology, all underpinned by a resilient private network and cloud infrastructure. We give space providers the confidence to securely scale their business and deliver exceptional member experiences.
This episode has been produced by Podcast Syndicator. To find out more about Podcast Syndicator, go to www.podcastsyndicator.com.